0: I Welcome did, to I this did, week's I episode did, of Husky I did, I did. Talk. Have
1: you ever wondered what it's like to be moving for hours in the freezing cold? This week we are interviewing Bayat Yagerlainer, one of the people who has one of the people who has raced the Iditarod Trail Invitational on foot. We hope that he will be able to answer that question, among others, for us today.
0: Right when he's ready, go ahead and start. Hey Bayat, how's it going over in Colorado?
2: Hey, it's good. It's good. Beautiful weather.
0: Um, uh, yeah. Friday. That's always great. Um, can you tell us how to pronounce your last name?
2: Oh, uh, Mm -hmm. Or in Swiss it would be Jägerleiner. It's a Swiss-German name, actually.
1: Hmm. That's pretty neat. Okay. Before we start our interview with you, we're going to test your Iditarod knowledge. We have five Iditarod trivia questions for you. Ready?
2: All
0: right. Um, who won the first Iditarod?
2: Who won the first Iditarod? I have no idea, to be honest.
0: It was Dick Blomers. Yep. Okay.
1: Who has won the most Iditarods?
2: Who won the most I did a Uh, let me guess. Maybe, uh, was it, it uh, wasn't Mackie, I don't think. It uh, wasn't Jeff King either. Uh, Rich King, maybe? I oh, don't know.
1: Rick Swenson with five.
0: Um, who founded the I Did a Ride? Right.
2: Who found it, yeah, the Iditarod? I think was it wasn't Joe Reddington?
1: Yep. How many dogs can a musher start with this year?
2: Uh, start with uh, sixteen, I think.
0: They changed the rule. It's now fourteen.
2: Uh, sorry, could you repeat that?
0: Um, they changed the rules. Now it's fourteen.
2: Oh, uh, okay. All right. All right. All right.
0: Um, what's the award given to the musher that finishes the Iditarod last?
2: Uh, do you have or red lantern?
1: Mm-hmm. That is correct. Now we're going to start off our question segment. Can you tell us how long you've lived in Colorado?
2: How long I've lived in Colorado? Um, I've only lived in Colorado about two and a half years now. Um, before that, I, I lived in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area for about 18 years. And before that, I grew up in Germany. Uh, and I was born in Switzerland, actually, and my parents just wish.
0: We understand that you do a lot of ultra-running events. Could you tell our listeners what ultra-running is?
2: About ultra-running, or what, why I do it, or... What is
0: it? What, is it?
2: Well, what, what ultra-running is? Um, well, ultra-running is anything, uh, that is longer than a marathon. Um, so, uh, that's one definition. So, uh... Most of the races are called ultra-marathons, so that would be basically anything over 42.192 miles, or whatever the the exact marathon distance is, uh, qualifies as an ultra-run. And uh, so I've done ultra-runs anywhere from 50 kilometers, or about uh, 31 miles, to uh, 1,000 miles.
1: How did you get into ultra-running?
2: It was uh, actually it was sort of a, uh, a funny story. It was based on a bet with my uncle. We um, were just uh, he challenged me to get into triathlons, and uh, so that's uh, so I started doing triathlons, and uh, then by accident. Uh, while I was training, some of my co workers challenged me to do a race. They wanted to see with way faster, and they signed us up for a, a trail uh, half marathon, actually. And there I got to know a whole bunch of people, and I started liking it, and so I started doing uh, these trail races. And at some point, I just decided one day, and, I want to try a 31-mile race, and then I, I met a really good friend there who then convinced me that, uh, you know, I should run a 100-mile race. And uh, then by meeting all sorts of super interesting people, I, I get more and more into doing these long, longer and longer events. Um, so, yeah, I found it to be just super fun, uh, super interesting, beautiful, uh, challenging, and surprisingly, it makes you feel really good.
0: Well, the teacher that's, that orchestrated the interview, she does ultra runs, too.
2: Yeah, me? <laughs> you guys should, too. <laughs> Eventually.
0: We've been interviewing a lot of people that are part of the Iditarod Dog Race. Can you tell us about the Iditarod Invitational? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so, um, I guess the Iditarod Invitational, it's a, it's a race that's on the Iditarod Trail. Um, and there are a few distances, uh, the major distances are the race to McGrath, which is about 300-ish miles, so a little bit more, maybe three hundred twenty. And then, of course, the whole route um, to Nome. Uh, the, the, I did a trail invitational starts and doesn't start exactly with a, uh, I did a dog sled a race start I mean there's no ceremonial start in, in Anchorage obviously so we, we start from a Big Lake um, um, uh, no Nick Lake not big, big Lake is the Iron Dog um, from Nick Lake and uh, so the, the long race and we follow the I did a route um, because generally, if the dogs, don't I mean the the dog sled race basically puts on the trail that we are using because there are some sections of the the route that otherwise would not normally see traffic, and then uh, it would be very hard to do on, on foot or on bike. Uh, the invitation and uh, uh, you can. Do it either on foot, which is what I've done uh, numerous times, or on a bike or on skis, which very really few people really do because it's not great for skiing. But, um, yeah.
1: Do you stop at the same checkpoints as the mushers? And how often do you stop?
2: Do I stop uh, sorry, for the mushers? or
1: Do you stop at the same or checkpoints my- as the mushers?
2: Uh, oh, yeah. So we... Uh, generally, we, um, so the, the rules of the of the race of the Iditarod Trail Invitational are not to interfere with the dog sled race. Um, however, so normally we don't go to the Iditarod checkpoints, for example, unless we are invited in, which they almost always do. Um, so. Um, the idea of trail invitation will start a week before the dog sled race, um, because, you know, on foot, humans are a lot slower than, than dogs. Those are much better athletes. Um, and generally we start, um, being sort of around the dogs in the middle 300 miles. Um, so... We often stop uh, at Diderot checkpoints after McGrath, uh, between McGrath and and Unicleed, basically. Um, uh, generally, I think the, uh, the humans, particularly when you're on foot, you're, you're going fairly slowly, probably stopping at least twice as often as the, as the dogs do um, and sleep a lot more, obviously. Um, so we we also utilize a lot of the cabins in the middle, uh that that are often between the checkpoints. Um and to get some rest. Or we just sleep up uh, bivy on the trail, you know, sleep in our sleeping bags on the trail.
0: Can you tell us about the time John Baker's lead dog took a nap on your sleeping bag? Oh
2: yeah, <laughs> So that was actually maybe I don't know. Was it maybe ten miles before uh, triple. Um, so it's on the north route, um, quite far in the interior. It's one of a very it's a very very long stretch with with little support. It's usually very cold. And I was traveling with uh, two friends, good friends of mine, actually. Um, and we were we were just taking a, a little break next to the trail. And it was very, very cold, so we were uh, usually to, to, even if you just stop for a meal and maybe a, a quick rest, so we, we just took out our sleeping bags. And because it was very deep snow, we we were just right next to the trail, so there was uh, Tim, my friend Tim was first, and his wife, Laureen, and I was last. and. Um, were sort of getting late, and John Baker's came, uh, his mushroom came. It turned out to be John Baker, um, his dog. He, the lead dog first he looked at the first sleeping bag and sort of you know, kept on going, and then on the second, uh, then when he came to my sleeping bag, he just jumped on top of it, mm-hmm. and the dogs were just really tired and they stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, he had. Done a really long run up to that point, and he was extremely tired. He was very. He asked us, oh, oh, "How long? How far is it to Triple it? So, you know, I don't know if I can make it. Uh-oh, but you know, we said, "Oh, it's only, only like seven it was, I think it was seven miles." And uh, that, that that was, I think, at the time, mushers didn't use GPS um, devices, and we, we have GPS devices, so we always know how far it is to the next checkpoint. Um, so he had to get off, he had to take his lead dog off my sleeping bag and get back going, which is always a pretty big uh, production because he has to, you know, put the brake out so the dogs don't run away. And so, um, so, but, but yeah, so John Baker's lead dog liked my sleeping bag. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was pretty funny.
1: How often do you see mushers on your run?
2: Uh, how often do I see mushers uh on the trail? Well, we see all the mushers, um, unless we're, you know, sleeping. Uh, so I think, I guess uh, they pass us during a time period of about uh, eight to ten days um, on the trail, uh, which is sort of obviously it's the, the range of, of times, I think, oh, maybe a little less and um, uh, most of the time they just fly by us um, and we, we try to get off the trail as much as possible because they, uh, for them it's difficult to stop and, or get around uh, us um, uh, so, so while the, the dogs let teams pass us we need to really watch out and listen for, for them to approach and they're actually quite quiet you don't really hear much they're very, very silent unless the, the musher is giving them commands.
0: Um, how do you train to run a thousand miles across Alaska?
2: Um. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I, I run a lot of hundred mile and a reasonable number of two hundred mile ultra marathons. Um. So that is it gives me a lot of endurance. So before I did my first. I did a rod, I usually did about 10, 100 milers a year. Um, So that that gives me a lot of sort of the base endurance. Um, And it also trains your feet and, uh, you know, actually dealing with blisters is a big thing. And when you run a lot, eventually your feet, the skin gets used to it and you know how to, you know, not get blisters and, and stuff like that. Um, but really, sort of the Iditarod, um, I always say you train for uh, the second the half of the race and the first half of the race. Because it is, you know, it is so long, you're going relatively slow. You actually have a lot of time to sort of get used to the motion. And the first week is always the hardest for me. But then after that, you actually stop hurting and you... you in a way you become stronger and you, you can go faster and longer without uh, getting as tired. So in a way you you train for the race during the race um, to a certain extent.
0: What was the hardest part about traveling the I did around on foot? Hmm.
2: That a they was really met there actually are a lot of difficult parts about it i mean on one of the, the one aspect that's really difficult is the mental aspect of it when you start out and you, you know you go maybe you walk for 3 or 4 hours and this is maybe you know depending on the trail conditions it's not really that far it's like 10 or 15 miles um, and after after four hours, if you, if you walk for four hours, you get you get tired, and I get tired. And you're not even you, you know it's ten or fifteen miles out of a thousand miles, so it just looks completely impossible at that point. So getting sort of into a uh, getting to not think about this and. Getting to this to be sort of a daily, just your life for a month is actually very is very hard. Uh, another thing that is, that is very very difficult is when it is from just from a physical aspect um, is when it is cold, very cold and windy, and that's that's the thing I'm most scared of. Um, I've had some really really difficult days on the Yukon, particularly where you can't. There is no shelter. You can't really get off the river because the riverbanks are very high. And um, it can be extremely cold and extremely windy. And the combination is very, very difficult to stay warm. And you can't stop. You can't easily drink or eat because, like, as soon as you open your jacket, you get really cold because of the wind. So, so that, that, uh, that moving in that uh, environment is, is extremely challenging for me.
1: Have you ever biked the race?
2: Uh, sorry, have I ever biked it? Yeah. Uh, no, I have done uh, some bike winter races before, and it was pretty cold, but I uh, must say that uh, I, I have a lot of respect for the people who can do it on a bike, because it's. I, I have a really hard time staying warm on a bike. Um, it's It's... It's, I find it a lot easier to stay warm when I'm walking, uh, particularly my feet, because you know when you walk, you move your feet and that keeps the feet warm. So I can walk in 40 below with just uh, waterproof sneakers and maybe a few extra pairs of socks. As long as I'm moving well, my feet don't get cold. But I have tried you know, 40 below boots on a bike and just when I was 10 below and I, I got really, really cold. Uh, feet so I don't know exactly how they do it <laughs> and uh, but yeah I, I enjoy the walking because you you get to look around you don't have to really focus as much on on the trail when you're on the bike you you need to really uh, make sure you the on the bike you need to pick the best line on the trail to be able to move forward and on foot' it, it's, it's, uh, in a way it's a lot more of uh, you, you're just out there and you can, can look around and take in more of the environment.
0: Did you ever fear for your life on the trail?
2: Um, yeah, I will say there were a few times when I got uh, really scared. Um, one, one time was actually right after Roan. Um, Roan is... About two hundred miles in, um, it's a, it's right after you cross the Alaska Range, um, and you get onto this. Uh, after Rome you have to cross the Kuskokwim River, and that river always has pretty rotten ice. Um, and falling into a river is actually the biggest danger that you really have on the Iditarod, other than maybe somebody hitting you with a snow machine, but, (laughs) uh, and I think you guys have uh, interviewed Pete Ripmaster before, a friend of mine, who actually did fall into a river right before Rome, Um, but uh, that year, there was a different year, I I left the, the checkpoint, and I, the whole river was flooded, so there was about Ankle deep water, and you could. It was extremely. It was dark. And it was very, very difficult to see where. You know there were solid ice. You could hear open water. Uh, there were a few stakes from the docks uh, from from the snow machine race, the Iron dog, that you could still see. But the, uh, most of them have fallen over. So had fallen over. So you couldn't really. You didn't really exactly know where to. So, so it, it's about a, I don't know, maybe three-quarter mile uh, that you need to sort of travel along the river and then across the river to get to the other side before you really get off of it. And that was just, I was really, really scared uh, because you can't, you, you know, you can't really see where you're going. Um, uh, maybe in hindsight, it would have been smarter to wait till daylight for that, but um, Another time where where I was really scared was on the Yukon when I said uh, what I mentioned before when it was it was about thirty below and probably thirty miles an hour winds the whole night and it got it very very I get extremely exhausted and we I was traveling with a with a, a, a colleague some uh, an Italian guy. And we decided we wanted to try to bivvy and uh, it's very, very difficult to bivy in this wind because as soon as you stop, you stop generating heat. You get really cold, and so you only have, you know, a few minutes to get into your sleeping bag. And then if if you can't get warm in your sleeping bag, it's it's a, the a, a consequence is going to be pretty dire. Um, but and, and so we pivoted and we spent like half an hour in misery because we couldn't really get warm and then we packed up and um and, and got again got you know, tried to get going so to, to get warm again. And that that was a very like, fortunately the wind towards morning died down. If we wouldn't have I would have yeah, it would have been very, very challenging. I mean you get into a situation where, you know, you, you have no choice. Um, you just have to keep moving no matter how exhausted you are and that that is very difficult uh, that was scary that was really scary
0: What's the next race that you have planned?
2: Um well I am planning to do the Iditarod again um uh that or or I'm also interested in actually traveling the Yukon Quest Trail um as you guys surely know, the you quest as a as another also around a thousand mile uh, dog sled race uh, from Whitehorse to Fairbanks. Uh, also very wild and, and rough, very cold in general. Um, but I think, the, yeah, probably the next race will be the the Iditarod once more.
1: The next part of our show we call Brain Freeze. We have five would-you-rather questions for you to answer. Ready?
2: All right.
0: Would you rather live in Switzerland or Colorado? Colorado. Warm, warm
1: weather race or cold weather race? Uh,
2: cold.
1: Biking or running?
0: Running. Mountain run or flat run? Mountain. Running uphill or downhill?
2: Uphill.
1: If you could go on a long run with anybody, living or dead, who would you choose and why?
2: Huh? A long run with anybody? Yeah. Dead or alive?
1: Living or dead? Doesn't matter. Living or dead?
2: Mhm. I would probably go for a long run with Albert Einstein. Because I studied physics and he was awesome. So.
0: Finally, what's your favorite song?
2: Um, I really like jazz, and uh, you guys certainly know that one. You may have heard of John Coltrane. There is a beautiful song, Afro Blues, from a, a CD. Uh, John Coltrane, a concert he gave at Birdland and that was one of my absolute all time favorite songs ever.
1: Thank you so much, Bayat, for talking with us today. Good luck in your races in your races the rest of the year.
2: Okay. Thank you so much. And yeah, thanks for interviewing me. It was uh, super fun.
0: Special thanks for our guest, Bayat Jaegerlaner, for being on our show this week. Subscribe to us on iTunes and tune in next week. We would also like to give credit to Hobo Jim for our theme song, The I Did a Red Trail Song. Now enjoy a clip from Bayat's favorite song, Afro Blue, by John Coltrane.